The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. First Peter, looking at verse 7 through 11 today. Listen to God's word. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks should be as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm sure you at some time have seen the classic cartoon that has many, many versions of a bearded, barefoot man standing on a city sidewalk looking more or less like someone imagines John the Baptist looks, wearing fur and uh, certainly hasn't had a haircut in a long time. And he's wearing a sandwich board with the words on it, Repent! The end is near. That's a favorite situation. You know, that's like two ministers and a rabbi walked into a bar, you know, for a favorite beginning for some kind of cartoon message. The message usually being that only religious loony people talk about the end of time or the, the judgment of this world. Well, the statement of 1 Peter 4.7 is, the end of all things is at hand or near. And it fits perfectly into the flow of thought of this letter, if you've followed with us, as Peter has really stayed on a pretty consistent theme, especially from the middle of chapter 2 on into and through chapter 3. He's been talking to people scattered in far and wide places in the Roman Empire, telling them that they can suffer in the name of the Lord and for the Lord, and they will suffer. He's not one of these health and wealth gospel fellows who says, if you're suffering, you must be disobeying God. Absolutely the opposite. He says Christians are going to suffer because Christ suffered. And you ought to know how to suffer trusting your Lord as you do it. That's been a strong theme here. Well, now he's indicating that we should suffer and stand tall for Christ knowing the times knowing, in a sense, how late it is on history's clock and history's calendar. The end of all things is at hand, he says. i just give you a couple notions of where this has already come out. Chapter 1, verse 5, spoke of salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, pointing to a 
concluding event of history. Chapter 2, verse 23, asserted strongly that justice for wrongs that we may incur uh, may not be worked out in this life, but if we will stand and trust in our God, he is the one, in Peter's words, who judges all things justly, in the sense it is that his final judgment will be right. Then there's chapter 4, verse 5, last time, which stated that all who live carelessly for material pleasure alone will find a conclusion to that because, Peter said, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So Peter has already had this sense of a great final event, a great judgment that involves the return of Christ. Let's look then for a first point at just what is being said here. The end of all things is at hand. How is, how is this a true picture of God's providential government over history? Well, biblical writers, if you want to go back, especially into the prophets of the Old Testament, would often speak about a great day, a great hour, when things would be brought to a conclusion, when all wrongs would be righted, and so on. And, of course, in the New Testament, furtherance of that, they were talking about Christ's return in glory. If you think about the fact of Peter's own experience, he was present with other disciples and the, what is told in the first chapter of Acts when Jesus ascended to heaven, that marvelous supernatural event in the way that, that Jesus disappeared from the observance of his disciples. And it says he was lifted into the heavens. And these disciples who watched this were told, quote, this same Jesus will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Well, we should be honest, I think, and acknowledge in all of us, in the best of believers, a particle or two, at least, of human skepticism. If you were trying to pick up patterns for the weather in the spring and you said, okay, it's almost time to start planting some things and thinking about a garden and so on, what's the weather report? And you tuned in tonight, let's say, and heard the weatherman say, rain is imminent. Heavy rain is imminent. You would think, well, boy, it's really going to be a gale tomorrow. But then it's not a gale tomorrow, and in fact, it doesn't rain for two months. And you would say, well, what that crazy weatherman said, imminent, back there in early April. When's it going to rain? Well, that's the way some people regard what Peter is saying here when he says the end of all things is at hand. Where's the end of all things? I haven't seen it. 20 centuries now, and Peter actually, you may know, is going to face this and, and respond to it in Second Peter chapter 3. We are, I hope, Lord willing, we'll get to that part where the day of the Lord is talked about there. But he was answering skeptical voices, atheistic voices that were saying, where is this coming that you've been promising us? Ever since creation, everything has gone on and continued just the same as before. Well, that wasn't factually true, but Peter answered in Second Peter 3.8, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Paul wrote in a similar discussion in Romans 13.11, the time has come for us to awaken from slumber, for our salvation is much nearer now than when we first believed. 
Well, that's certainly true. You can't argue with that. If you've known the Lord for numerous decades, as I have, you say, well, yeah, I've been a Christian quite a while now, and certainly the end of my life and my appearing before my Savior, whether by death or the return of Christ, is nearer now than it was when I was a child. That much is true. So what makes, in some people's estimation, a long delay we can only say, is owing to the mercy of God. God has designed and knows the heart and soul of every person who will trust Christ and know Christ as an eternal Savior, and He is working out His plan for everyone whom He has known to come under that mercy and make that response by the Holy Spirit to trust in Christ. And until that plan is done, our planet isn't done. But when that plan is done, our planet as we know it right now at least, is done. God has appointed an end to things just as he appointed beginnings. He appointed the beginning of creation, making it out of nothing. He appointed the coming of his son to inhabit the womb of a young woman and be a true man and yet truly God in a moment of time. So we can certainly say we're much closer than Peter was now to this tremendous event. And if we would keep this tremendous event fixed in our minds, we would begin to be more certain about what is involved in what we call a Christian world and life viewpoint. We all tend to have markers by which we measure history, whether that's a president's administration, whether it's the world wars of the 20th century, falling of the Berlin Wall, you think of other great events, and we kind of, you know, have these measurements, these marker stones that we evaluate history. We say, oh, yes, well, that was before World War II, or that was during the Korean War. Well, God has marker stones, landmarks as well, but they're completely different. They are things like the fall of man in the garden, the call of Abraham, the exodus, the reign of David, the rise of the Jerusalem temple and its fall again, the birth of Christ, his life, his cross, his resurrection, his ascension to glory. These are the landmarks, the measuring marks that God evaluates history. And I believe we're being told here when we're being told that the time is nearly at hand that God's measuring marks are drawing very, very near to the last mark of all. Because the only marker we know as far as unfulfilled prophecy yet is this prediction, this prophecy, that Christ will be exhibited visibly and gloriously in human history, and that will ring down what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, the day in which all things are remade into a new heaven and new earth, the day in which believers are gathered with the souls of those from the past who've already gone into the Lord's presence, and the day in which unbelief is irremediable. Nothing can be done to escape unbelief that still exists in that final day, as the Scripture has pictures of people begging the mountains to fall on them, for so awful will be their realization that they have missed the great opportunity. Sure, it looks like a great postponement to our measurement. It's not a postponement in the timing of God. It's a postponement, in quotes, only due to the patience of God's grace. 
who gives opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity, but an end will come to opportunities. People often ask about the phrase, the last days. I don't know how many times in my ministry I've been asked by someone as if I would have the, the great opinion on this that would solve the whole problem. People say, Pastor, is it the last days? I have an instant response for that. Yes! It's been the last days ever since the coming of Christ, according to Scripture. They are meaning, well, is it the last week or the last six months? Or am I expecting to set a date and say Christ will be here by Christmas or something? No, I can't say that. Of course I can't. But the Scripture says, Hebrews 1-2, in these last days God has spoken to us by His Son. It's been the last days of history ever since Christ appeared, according to Scripture. You ever stop and think as a believer, really think about, will I witness the appearing of Christ? Your humanity speaks back to you, doesn't it? It it, it doesn't speak in an audible voice, but it kind of tells you, well, that would be so different from anything that's ever happened to me, and I really don't believe anything quite that radically different is going to come across the path of my life. You really don't, do you? I know you don't, because that's true for me. And preachers are supposed to be more holy than you, even though we're not. I don't walk around saying, Jesus will come today. Let's be honest. I should, in a sense. But my natural humanity says, what? It's Tuesday. I have to do this, and I have these appointments, and I have this meeting, and That's what's in my consciousness, not that Christ might appear. Sometimes if I really sit down and think about it hard, I'll think, well, perhaps I will. I don't have a lot of years left on this earth. Perhaps I will not see Christ appear. I get to be like Paul, you know, thinking they say that some people think that Paul in his early epistles like 1 Corinthians had a keen sense that Christ was going to come in his lifetime, but by 2 Corinthians he seems to talk more about the expectation that probably he will not see that. And maybe that's the way I think now. All right, I'm nearer the end than I am to the beginning of my life. Possibly, probably, I will not see this, but my children could. My grandchildren could. But I can't even stretch it out that far. I've got to say, it could be today. I just have a hard time believing it, don't you? I mean, if you're really honest, you're not going home today thinking, Christ is going to appear this afternoon. But he could. We believe there's no preceding, announced, or expected event that Scripture tells us to look for that hasn't happened that stands in the way, or its absence stands in the way of the climax of Christ's coming. He could come today. Nothing prevents that in biblical prophecy. But the end just doesn't seem near to us, does it? He said, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 40, you must be ready for the Son of Man because he will come at such an hour that you, believers, he was speaking to believers at that time, you do not expect. Well, if you don't expect it, what about the unbeliever? He certainly doesn't expect it. We're given the understanding it will be a a business as usual day. If you take the train to Philadelphia, you'll be on the train to Philadelphia. If you watch the stock market closely, there'll be buying and selling and trading going on as always. If you need to shop, you'll be at Oregon Dairy or at 
vice or someplace uh, on the day that it comes. If you're a gardener, you'll be in your garden. Christ will come when even believers don't look for it. This is why the Scripture urges us, don't get into this silly game of trying to set a date and, and believe somebody that says, well, I've got a mathematical formula of combining Ezekiel with Hezekiah with Lamentations multiplied by Song of Solomon, and I've got the date. Run away from that person. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a sad fool, really. And many people have played that kind of fool. If you're a sports fan, let me tell you something. The Phillies may be your great hope. It should be the Red Sox. But the Phillies will be your great hope. But it won't matter whether the Phillies or the Red Sox are undefeated when that day comes. These things that occupy so much of our attention and our passion. You know, boy, the Cubs fans went wild. And maybe duly so, 108 years is a long time to wait for a pennant, a World Series pennant. But let me tell you, it isn't going to matter who's in the World Series or who's the leading NFL rusher or any of that when Christ comes. We're told of people in Noah's time, how they had to flee from a flood. They got a warning. Noah preached about it as a man of a righteous prophet, but they didn't listen last time or Two times ago, we talked about Noah as a preacher of righteousness there at the end of chapter 3. Nobody listened. And when the catastrophe came, they were terrified as they drowned because they would not believe. We're told there are going to be people fleeing, not running toward, running away from the appearance of Christ and saying, let the mountain fall on me. Well, secondly, Besides just examining that statement, the end is at hand, I want you to see some of these uh, practical Christian responses that we ought to have in light of that end, that day coming soon. There should be a gospel urgency that we sense. First Peter 4, 1-6, last time, denounced lives that were spent only in pursuit of what was called debauchery, lust, and drunkenness. Millions of people are just living for today. Let me squeeze a little pleasure out of today. Oh, I have so many pains and anxieties in my life. Let me have this, this little shot of painkiller that'll make me feel better, even though it'll be heroin in a couple weeks. Oh, let me just get drunk and, and not think about anything. My life is so full of problems. Let me just be in this relationship. I know I should be married to this person, but that doesn't matter. We just need some pleasure together. That's the way people live, Peter says. People are seeking their personal ease, their comfort. They're not thinking about anything long-term or historic. But just imagine if we, even we Christians, did know, and I'm not saying we can, but if we did know that Jesus would return, what is it? It's it's almost exactly noon. Uh, That shows you I do know what time it is when I'm preaching. It's almost exactly noon on Sunday. What if Jesus was going to return exactly at noon on Monday? If you knew that, Christian, what what would you do differently? What do you think you would do? I think some of you, within an hour or so, would come to your senses and say, I've got an unsaved relative. I've got a great friend that I have to persuade that they're going to face God. We're all going to face God in 24 hours. You'd get on the phone, you'd text, you'd run to their house, 
if they didn't, if, you know, if you told them at the door and they slammed the door, I hope you'd kick the door down. Because you'd say, friend, I've got something to tell you that's so important. You must sit down and listen. You are going to face God at noon tomorrow. Now, you might be thrown out. I don't know what the nature of your friends are. But you would be full of urgency, telling people you know and love, you must act. You won't have another chance in a matter of hours. Now, certainly I know your life doesn't contain that kind of urgency right now. And yet, look at what Peter wants your life to contain right now. As he says, end of verse 7, Therefore, it's after the therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you're going to pray the way God wants you to, you need to tell time in the midst of history the way God tells time. You need to tell time according to these great marker events, the cross of Christ, the ascension of Christ, his intercession now at the right hand of God, his announced plan to return to history to bring it to an end as its judge. When you're thinking a world and life view according to those things, you're going to be better able to pray. Prayer requires this alertness to the Word of God and what is actually happening. We have had this interesting discussion in our national affairs lately between real news and fake news. I'm not going to go into the political dimension of that, but I think that's illustrative, though, of the fact that a lot of what we respond to is the fake news, the things that aren't really that important or aren't really even true. You know, when someone says your sexuality is a matter of state of mind, and if you want to change your state of mind to be some other kind of sexuality, just do it. Well, that's fake news. It's absolutely untrue. It's absolutely unprovable. But yet people live according to something like that. You need to have your mind tuned to what is true. And then you can watch, and then you can analyze what's happening in your times, and you can pray before God with the binoculars of eternity trained upon real things, not phony things. Some people think a call to prayer means you've got to enter a monastery and sort of shut out the world. That's actually quite wrong. This kind of call to prayer makes you engage with the world because you understand what is really going on behind the news that you might hear on the TV or in the newspaper. Intelligent prayer will stir up service for Christ as we know that each of us only has so many years to go before we face the Lord, either by our death or his return. Now, verse 8 through 11 here tell us a few more things that I'll just touch on very briefly, but it, it says we need to love each other differently because of having the end in mind. You know, if 20 people are crowded into a lifeboat off the Titanic, uh, that really only had room for 24, you haven't got a lot of space to spare. And you don't have a lot of space in that lifeboat to fight with one another over why you've got three inches more on the bench than I've got or something like that, or uh, my paddle's not as big as yours, I want your paddle. Silly disagreements and things where people foolishly slight one another melt away when people are engaged in a life-and-death situation. And that's what Peter's saying. One of the things he's saying here, look, we Christians don't have time for foolish quarrels. 
We don't have time for nitpicking a little speck of sand in somebody's eye. In light of what we face in history, and this hour is so late, we need to have forgiveness towards our brethren on the very tip of our tongues. We need to be very soft-spoken with those who are brothers and sisters in Christ because we need each other. We're alone in understanding the reality that we're facing. And Peter makes this enigmatic statement that such a love as this covers a multitude of sins. He doesn't say you just declare there's no more sin anymore. Yes, believers are going to sin against you, and you're going to sin too. But he says, let there be ready forgiveness and ready mercy to bind us together in these late times of history. Hospitality is urged here. We could go into a study that would show that the word hospitality has its root in the same word as hospital. No surprise there. A place of healing. Hospitality means Christians use their homes and they use the the coffee shop or they use McDonald's or wherever they might gather and have fellowship havens with one another where they listen to one another, pray for one another, instruct one another. And then it says, use your spiritual gift too for serving. If you're a speaker, if you're a preacher, know that you can preach the very oracles of God. You can do that because of this. Because of this holy book, if you're a Bible teacher, leader of a small group, you can speak the oracles of God if you have this book in your hand. And if your truth is derived from this, you don't have to be ordained to be an oracle of God, I don't think. Use your spiritual gift, Peter says. Whatever it is, if it's caring for someone's children, giving a a harassed mom a break, watching her children for a while so she could get out and shop or just have some time to herself. Whatever gift you have, use it to serve because the days are late and God's people need to be bound together by strong cords of one anotherness. Well, we're 20 centuries closer to the, than Peter was to the second coming of Christ. Will it be another century? I have no information on that. But I do know I need to live with a clear mind and clear sight and much love and with service to please my Lord. He told me the end is at hand. His servant Peter told me, and Jesus himself said as much also. And certainly that has to do with evangelism, doesn't it? That has to do with a very serious idea for all of you. You may be young. You know, it's spring season. High school seniors are starting to think about graduation. Wow, graduation, finally done with high school. Like, life can begin. Well, life is going to begin. I can guarantee you if you're 18 years old, you probably don't have too much of an idea of what is going to begin for you after high school. But here's the one thing you need to know. At 18, your life is a lot shorter than it was when you were five or six, when you maybe first trusted Jesus? Are you growing as a disciple? Are you spending time in God's Word? Are you praying intelligently? Are you bound together with other Christians, serving them? Today, the Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. I've been pastor of this church long enough now that by my rough count, and I think I'm within a couple dozen, I would say 300 of this congregation, members, 
have been buried since I've been the pastor. I've probably buried more than 200 of them myself. Wow. That's a sobering thought. Sometimes when I look out at you in some of those empty pew spaces, I see dearly beloved folks, saints of God that were part of this church that I know are in glory and I'm going to see again. But have you heard the gospel say today is the day of salvation? Somebody's listening to me, and whenever I say this, I know you shrug it off. Okay, go ahead. Get ready to shrug it off. Somebody listening to me in this room will not be living at the end of 2017. Dozens of people listening on the radio or on the website will not be living at the end of 2017. Now you shrug it off again and say, well, it won't be me. Of course, it won't be me. Really? I can tell you plenty of names of people thought it wouldn't be them. It wasn't their time yet. If you are not ready to surrender your life to Christ today, when in this world, in a calendar of time, do you think you are going to do it? Stop kidding yourself. Finally, I say to you, this text speaks to America. We are a people in this country satiated up to the gills with security, with comforts, with privileges and pleasures. Why is it the whole world wants to get in? Why is it we're so worried about our borders? Everybody wants what America has. You may not be one of the most privileged or richer people of America, but you have more than almost anybody in this world. America, though, has slapped the face of God time and again. He gave us the great institutions of our nation to be a free people. The Constitution of the United States is one of the greatest documents ever created. And many who govern us today don't even have an idea hardly what it says because they don't follow it. How much longer is God going to endure the scandals in Washington? Godless government, the murder of the unborn, racial injustice in our street as cops beat people up. And please don't come and say I'm anti-cop. I'm not. It only takes a few to besmirch many. You who do know Christ, will you hear the urgency of this text to watch and pray and be in tune with our times to listen to your neighbors and your fellow Christians to forgive easily to evangelize in a way that's comfortable for you to tell people the real truth about what time it is in world history let's plan to be in line with God's calendar not who is president right now or this administration or This happened in the 1970s or something. Let's be driven by God's calendar. I close with Romans 13, verse 12. Paul said it. The night is now far spent. The day, the great day, is almost here, capital D. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's pray together. Father, here's a great reality that is hard even for us as believers to grasp. We admit it, Lord. We can't really grasp the fact that our life as we know it is going to end 
and the glorious appearing of your Son is going to be to us a splendid, though surprising, day of joy. It's going to be a day of terror for others. And Lord, we put this event in a place, in a cabinet, and we sort of close the door on it and think, oh yes, of course, that's true, but let me get on with my life. Father, pull us by the urgency of the coming kingdom of Jesus to know that you're only delaying now because someone else is your design to be saved. Help us, Father, to sense the urgency of the time, to pray with clear understanding, to live as your people in this present hour. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.